Welcome to the WealthStream Podcast. The team at Hightower Great Lakes share their insights and passions for empowering their clients to live their best life. In this energetic podcast, we will take you on a journey to help you navigate your financial future, overcome life's challenges to reach your financial goals, and find the financial clarity you've been searching for. Let's explore the downstream impact of your wealth and what it means to you, your family, and your community to live greater. Hello and welcome to the Wealth Stream with Tim Scannell from High Tower Great Lakes. Tim, what's going on? Well, it's uh, snowy here today, so we're hibernating in the in the office, but uh, things are good. How about yourself, Eric? The Wealth Stream is icy. Is that what's going on? Exactly. <laughs> well, you got in Nebraska. You guys sent us your weather, so we're just I did. I'm, I apologize. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. That's uh, that's my bad. I should have warned you. Yeah, it's 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 been a long winter, but you know we're in this new year. We've been talking about that a little bit, and uh, you have a guest today that you've brought on for a great conversation. Who'd you bring on? So I brought on Scott Benning, and he's super smart, but he's really smart because he's in Florida right now, and the weather's <laughs> beautiful. So he's he's yeah. the smartest of all of us, I think. Absolutely. Yep. All right. What are you guys talking about? Well, you know, as you know, on the podcast, I talk about the advanced planning we do and tax planning, estate planning, investment planning, but Today, we're not going to talk about any of that because one of the things we try to do with our clients as by doing all those that planning is to maybe help them exit um, into their, what we call their best life. And, mm-hmm. and today I've Scott Benning and I want to introduce him to the listeners because he's done amazing things as a CEO of Monosol and growing that company. But um, I think he's also kind of uh, exiting into even more exciting things. So I want to introduce the listeners today to Scott Benning. Thanks, Tim. You Can't wait to talk. Can't wait to talk. And yeah, it's, uh, it, it is a pretty smart thing. I'm down in Florida and looking at the weather up north and the weather in the southeast, but the southeast stops at the panhandle. So we're, we're doing pretty good. We're worried whether it's going to go below 80 here today. So, Oh, that's the challenge, right? Oh. Rub it in. Go ahead. But today I want to talk, um, Scott, if you don't mind, first of all, we want to get into this amazing book you just published. But to start out with, I just thought I would maybe introduce everyone to you, maybe give us a little bit of your background, education, family, things like that. Okay. I think I have a pretty simple background. I grew up in Buffalo, New York, actually in Buffalo and then in the suburbs in a town called Williamsville, New York. And was very fortunate enough to have a mom that was an educator that believed in education. And between her and my father, they figured out how I could go to a very prestigious university in upstate New York called St. Lawrence University. And they did everything they could and afford and couldn't afford to send us, my brother and I actually, a couple of years older to the same university. And then my sister went through school. And it's something that you read about today. And I remember my my student loan that I had to take out. When I met my wife 35 years ago, she didn't like the fact that I was still paying a student loan, but my payment was $88 a month. <laughs> and it, it only lasted for a couple of years. So uh, no, my parents did a great job. They pushed education and I ended up getting a chemistry degree from St. Lawrence. And I thought back then everything's plastics, right? It was the the boom in the early 80s, late 70s. And I had mentors and, and people before me that I looked at my uncle, my brother that were both in the chemical industry. And I thought, ah, oh, this is where I'm going to end up. And lo and behold, I left college and found out that after 
nine months that I did not want to look at cinder block walls that were painted or look at laboratory benches. And I was offered an opportunity to go into technical marketing, which is a fancy word of a technical guy that sells stuff, essentially. Oh, sure, sales. Yeah. So I, I got sent to some training programs and figured out, figured I was pretty good at talking to people and putting the pieces together. And that helped me get to the point where uh, about 33, 34 years ago, I joined Chris Craft as the head of their sales and marketing organization, which was a, a, running their division called Monosol. It took a few years to get there to, to actually run the company. But you know, my background was really solid in that in, in the chemistry area and the sciences. And then I started to evolve in, into the business side of things. In the early 90s, I was fortunate enough to have the opportunity to go get my business degree at UIC in Chicago and nights and weekends type of thing. And had enough of the formal education to complement what I was learning and hearing and breathing in the business side in the real world. That's kind of about where I am. I've got a beautiful wife, 34 years, two children that are 31 and 28. They really haven't followed in my footsteps, but two of them are working for the company that I sold over a decade ago to Karari, the Japanese company that we'll probably talk about a little bit. Uh, sure. But the, 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 the cool thing is they joined the company after I sold it. Uh, while I was still running it. And um, one's in the supply chain side, the other guy's in the marketing end, and they're doing great. So got a daughter-in-law and another one on the way and hoping someday maybe there'll be grandkids around. We'll see. <laughs> of course, that's always the goal, right? You know, and you know, you mentioned mentors and um, I want to get into that when we talk about your book, but just just because you mentioned it as you were, you know, growing up and talking about your son, Scotty and Billy, you know, what would you say to the, the past you coming out of college, or what would you say to people coming out of college now, young, young people about mentors and, and kind of looking for them and, and finding them and following them? You know, the first thing that popped into my head when you just mentioned that is my service as a trustee at Butler University. And I've been there for, I think, eight or nine years as a trustee on the board of trustees. And I get to interact with the students and student government and watching these sharp, incredibly smart, way smarter than I ever was, young people latch on to develop relationships and latch on to people like me and other colleagues that I have at the university to try to find those mentors, people that are not just going to open doors for them, but they try to emulate or replicate what they see in the careers of individuals. So my feeling is when people are getting out of university and starting to look at the, the, the real world, they need to find people that will give them the time and the energy and the guidance on how to navigate through the complexities that are amazing today. The complexities for the young people are just between social media, everything moving so, so quickly. It's really, really difficult to enjoy what they're doing at the time, but also try to keep pace with the way the world is moving so swiftly. And I think finding the right guidance and mentorships is a perfect way for them to help put it all together. Yeah. I think even it's even more important than the, as important or more important than the company you join or the, the firm you, you join to work with is you want to make sure that there's great people that hopefully you can mentor work with and you can learn from, I would think. Agree. Totally agree. So if we fast forward 
you know, one of the things I talk about on our podcast is we focus on exit planning and exiting the business. And I had read years ago, uh, I think it was Jack Wells of GE said, you know, one of the most important things that a CEO does is focus on their their exit and, and their succession plan. So, you know, if you can jump back a year or two and just think of Scott Benning as he was thinking about exiting, you know, what were some of the things you were thinking about back then that maybe did how it would impact your family, how it would impact Monosol, et cetera, and, and some of the challenges you kind of walked through as a CEO considering exiting? Uh, I'm going to go back farther than one or two years ago because my cool. exiting started in my mind when I was working with my partners on trying to sell our company or thinking about selling the company. And it was over a decade ago. So here I'm in an early 50s thinking, oh, cool, I get to retire at 50 something. Wow, that's really cool. And then you start thinking about what the hell am I going to do? Right. And yep. do I have enough money to be mm -hmm. able to do that? And the good thing is with in my story, I was selling the business to a company that insisted that I stay for at least three years, which gave me three more years to think about, okay, what's going to happen? Mm -hmm. A year and a half into that three years, they asked me to stay an additional three years. So now I have now six years to think about what am I going to do and what's retirement and what's the next good life going to be? And frankly speaking, do I have enough money to do this? Right. So after we got to about the six year mark, I really started thinking because now I'm pushing 60 and thinking, okay, maybe I have enough money. Maybe I can retire. And Tim, you've been very great helping me figure out how to make sure I had enough money well, to you. do what I wanted to do. But when it came down to putting the next three years, which would take me to nine years out, I actually put a succession plan together for my company. And I had already hired a gentleman that is actually running the company today that was earmarked as my successor. And so the training began and I had at least four to five years of solid training with him. But then COVID hit. Right. And the world changed. My world changed by traveling all the time changed to not traveling. And I started to think I could keep doing this for quite a long time. I don't need to retire. But the company and the circumstances said something different. The circumstances said I put a succession plan together and I had to execute that succession plan. Right. And that hit got me to the point of January of last year where I stopped being the CEO of the company. Mm -hmm. So it was it was difficult to plan. Um, I have actually a, a organizational guru that's in my book. His name is Don Leopold that has been helping me. And part of his job was to help me with my succession. And I keep telling him about how horrible he did it because it took him 10 years <laughs> to get me to that right. point. Right. But, but And as you know, we've had many conversations about that process over the last year and a half. And it's frightful. I mean, it was very scary, uh, emotional to think about something that I created or was very, I, I was fortunate enough to have people around me to help create the success I did with this business over the years. But the thought of waking up and not being the CEO every day was very scary. Sure. It's not so scary now. It's been a year. I've had many 
contemporaries tell me, relax, don't worry about it. But it's going to be very strange when you start waking up and you don't have emails coming in every day. Yeah. So, I mean, so tell, so tell the CEO who's about to exit, um, and you know, what you think now, a year later, like maybe some insight, because I I agree when I work with CEOs, business owners, as they're anticipating the exit, there's really no way to know. Um, you think, you know, but there's really no way to know what life is going to be like afterwards. I think it's going to, a lot of it's going to be personal choice and your personal circumstances. I happen to be in in the world today. I have a very strange family. They're what they used to be, what we would say normal. It's like, we don't have a lot of drama and complexity in our lives at this point. And it's a lot easier to plan. And we also have wealth. I mean, we've created enough wealth that I'm, although I worry all the time about do I have enough money? My wife doesn't seem to worry because she trusts. <laughs> she trusts. Yeah. And Tim, you're, you're telling me that things are okay. But if if I were looking at it today, you have to think about what do you what do you want to do? Do you want to drop off the cliff and just decide you're going to do nothing? And some people I know, I know people that say I'm golfing five days a week, or I'm going to go on a trip around the world, or I have other interests that are going to keep me busy day to day. My personal situation is that I have to keep the mind going. And I think that's really important, whatever it is. Well, um, I had had a very close I guess, colleague that I've worked with for years that incredibly, she was the CTO of Procter & Gamble. And she said, I've divided this in thirds. One third is giving back. One third is to my faith. And the other third is to my family. Oh, awesome. Yeah. And when I look at this, I think I stop myself almost every day and think about what am I doing? Because for example, my wife put up with 35, 40 years of me traveling all over the world and not being there for everything and living my life, if you will. And so I'm purposefully trying to find that time to enjoy things together with her and the family that in a much more relaxed form, I think it's very important that that intensity will die down. And so from a personality perspective, I think Typically, successful entrepreneurs or successful people that are CEOs are probably in that A personality area. For sure. And you have to get into a different zone and be willing to give some of that intensity up so that you can relax. I find that my stress level has dropped incredibly. And when it does go up, I'm able to control it much easier. And I think health-wise... Uh, things don't hurt and ache and as much as they did. And I don't know whether that's because I'm living my life a little differently, but I think it <laughs> sure. has to do with stress. So as, you're, as my advice to someone thinking about this is you need to plan something. I, right. You can't just shut the door and say, okay, I'm done. What am I going to do? I think you need to take time to plan what might those things be and then be flexible as that's happening to change your course because things might not go as exactly as you planned. If that, for sure. if that helps. Oh, no, for sure. I, I, I talked to a lot of clients about creating a parallel path. As you're exiting, you have to really get off one escalator and immediately have one that's moving that you've already planned for. And like you said, you know, be ready for it to shut down or be ready for you have to pivot. Um, one of the other things that I really talk about a lot to a lot of clients about is, or I would say, I personally feel like if you, when you leave this earth, you know, if you take 
that intellectual capital, the knowledge, the experience with you, and you haven't somehow shared it, whether it's through writing, blogging, speaking, mentoring, it, it's a shame. It's a really big shame because you've got all this history, all these stories, all these things people can learn from. And and so let me kind of push, flip into the book because you know I have a, a lot of clients who have thought about and uh, and the majority um, just can't commit or don't commit or it's just a really you know they don't want to commit to putting it down into a book. You're the second client that I have who have actually done this, and but I read the book and it's amazing. So I wanted to kind of dive into it, but maybe you could tell us your purpose, your goal when you decided to write the book. And, and talk about the book a little bit, like the title, et cetera, and what it, what the theme is. So for years, especially the last three or four years at Monosol, people said, you have to write a book. I mean, we took a business of you know a few million dollars in revenue, and it's at that half billion mark, and the profits have been super, and the relationships and contracts are going out into the future. And for those of you that don't know, Monosol is the largest by far manufacturer and designer of the soluble films for what what you would know as Tide Pods or the unit dose for laundry and or the dishwasher market. They also do many, many other things. And the many other things are the things are the technology space segments that have allowed them to be able to design the stuff for the detergent market and, and the big guys, Procter & Gamble, Unilever, Reckitt Benckiser, Henkel, all the big names are Monosol's customers. The, the the book was really pushed pushed on me in a way to, as you said, preserve history, right? What are the stories? What happened? Tell the story. One of the things I did when I was taking over running the business, I went and found my successors from the 50s and 60s and 70s and a couple of them. And I actually had them, I actually had them sit down in front of a microphone and a camera and just talk about the history of the company. Oh, wow. That's great. And I, I, I was lucky enough to catch them while they still had their wits about them. And the stories they told me were incredible. And I, a couple of them I took to, to lunch, took to breakfast, uh, went golfing with them. I remember one of them was happy that he was 90 years old and he was able to hit his age that day. So oh that, was God, cool. that. <laughs> that was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. Yeah, exactly. So that kind of prompted me to think about, look at, all right, so much has happened. And because I feel like I was the leader of the company and was able to pick the pieces up and learn from all of their failures, which is innovation, fail fast, and take it to the next level right. with a great team of people. Well, there's a, there's a story in that process. But the other one was when I actually sold the business in 2012, and then tripled the size of it again as the CEO and as an employee of the new owner over the next decade. That was where a lot of the unique, the unique, what's the word, um, aspects of the growth of the business kicked in where I had private equity, venture capital, friends saying, you have to write a book. This is very rare that someone sells the business and then stays there and scales it three times. Definitely. And I didn't think about that at the time. I wasn't thinking about, this is strange. This is different. I just did it. I mean, it was just something that just came natural. So writing the book um, also came from looking at the journals that I kept from the first day I walked in there. And I have, I still have all the journals from every day of my life from 1989. 
So I had the record and now was the time to be able to put that together. And I actually started to write notes down as I was going through things on airplanes or whatever anecdotes and trying to remember. So I wouldn't forget. Then I met this guy named Tim Skinnell who kept telling me I should write a book on top of all these other people. But one thing that you did, Tim, is you introduced me to the publisher or the, the company scribe mm -hmm. and they were able to take me through the process and coach me, give me a gentleman that was phenomenal named Robert Wolf Peterson, who was able to help me get my thoughts together, take all the massive writings I had and help form them in the right paragraphs and the right chapters and the right order. And then out comes a manuscript after about a year. Yeah. And just, if I can just throw in what, what's yeah. unique about the way you did it, I think is you, and I want to stress with the listener, you actually wrote it. So it, it's your, your content. I, you know, there's a lot of people who have pure ghost writers, you know, the, obviously scribe really helped you make sure it was a book and it, you know, marketing and it looks great. And the story, if, like you said, it, it weaved properly, but the stories are yours and, and you wrote that. And I just want to stress that for people who are listening. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm proud of it. I feel like I felt like I broke their system a little bit where they would interview <laughs> you, do a video, and then they'd write it and say, is this I think okay? you did, yeah. But Rob was great in helping me. Let's think about this way and let's put this in this order and, and get the themes in the right context and setting up what they call the North Star. What, what do I, why did I write the book and who is it for? And the book is to capture the, the history and the legacy of the company, my career to some large extent, but also to teach others about things that I learned. And I think I write in the book very clearly, I wish someone had given me this book 30 years ago to right. read it. I agree. I, I read it. I agree with this. I agree the same thing. So it was cathartic as well. I mean, leaving the company and going through the early parts of retirement, I was able to lose myself in the history but it also helps you let go. Mm -hmm. It helps you let go of the, the some of the stress and the memories and the stories. It makes you also remember more detail, believe it or not, about things that came up. There are so many other stories that I had to cut out of the book. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> I want the book probably had another 150 pages that were cut for a couple of reasons. I wanted to make sure that I didn't get anybody mad <laughs> at what was written. Mm -hmm. Um and there's some stories that are very colorful that maybe would not be appropriate for what I'd call an entrepreneur business book for innovation. And that maybe that's the next book. You know, after I stop advising and consulting, maybe I can write another book when I really don't care what people think. Exactly. And that's, you know, when I talk to other clients, other people about writing a book, one of the hesitations is that they want to make sure it's, you know, completely accurate or I'm not offending anyone. But I, I think you've gotten some really good feedback, you know, since you've written it and since people have read it. Um, you've had some people, I think, who have kind of in your history come back and talk to you about it and you know, maybe give some feedback and that might encourage other people to write a book. One thing I did that was very important is I had my attorney read the book before anybody and tell me whether there's anything in there that could possibly impact the agreements that I've written and promises that I've made through the years. Mm -hmm. And that's very important. It was important for me because the last thing I would ever want to do is, is to compromise anything to do with the business. And I, I believe I hit that mark 
or didn't hit that mark properly. And then also there was a lot of situations where when you're telling a story, not naming names or trying to not gloss over is not the right word, but to try to minimize the impact that it could potentially have from a third party thinking, is that who you're talking about? Or is that that person? So I've worked very hard to try to make sure, as I said, I don't want to make anybody angry or upset anyone with the book. I tried to talk fact as much as I could. Um, And the people that I've worked with, I've had many of my colleagues in Japan come back and very impressed and happy with with their their part of the book, if you will, and also sure. many of the colleagues from our customers, Procter & Gamble, and also inside the company come back and just be thrilled. I've gotten some phone calls from people I haven't talked to in years that said, I read your book. It's so cool. I forgot those stories. And I, there was so much I didn't know. And my, my sons also, I mean, they lived obviously the company and they made the comments that, made some comments about there are parts that I think I remember hearing about, but I didn't know the whole story. And that's was really cool for them kind of putting it together. So um, it doesn't have to be what I did. My hope is that somebody picks this up at a business school and makes somebody in an MBA program, read it and say, read this book. That would be really cool for me. No, I agree. And and I think what's unique about the book, because I read a lot of business books, is the storytelling and the actual stories and how you weave them in you know, and you might have one in chapter one, and then it shows up in chapter nine. It's just, I think it's just really well-written, very good stories. Like one in particular, like one, the, the other theme about the stories I sensed is uh, it's not just business. It's also family. It's also friendship and mentorship. You know, like um, I, I really felt like I got some great information about Herb Siegel, who seemed like he was one of a great mentor for you. So I don't know if you want to is that something you could talk about a little bit? or? Yeah. I haven't talked to Herb in a couple of years, uh, actually a few years. He's getting up there in age, about the age of my father, and 91, I think. And Herb and I weren't tight, really close, but he took me under his wing for, for reasons that I didn't really understand at the time. And I think I've come to believe that he liked me. I mean, he liked that I didn't wasn't afraid of him, and I told him the truth. And that's something that I've done throughout my career is, you know, everybody has a boss, right? Whether it's your spouse or the CEO of the company or chairman, tell them the truth. Don't sugarcoat it and don't bullshit them. I mean, that's what I did with Herb and he appreciated it. And there are times where I told him, everybody's telling you what you want to hear, but this is, I'm going to tell you what I think. And I think he respected me for that. And he did with a yellow pad of paper and a red pencil, show me how to read a balance sheet and do an income statement and challenge the heck out of me. And that that's something I'll never forget. And that encouraged me to learn that part of business as opposed to the science part of what we were doing. But Herb, Herb was great. Our CFO at the time, JoLynn Merkel, who still is a dear friend, she was tough as hell. I mean, she, everything ticked and tied and accounting was impeccable. Everything had to be perfect. I could go through the list, but all the people that I write about in the book are c- compatriots, colleagues, and mentors at the same time. I mean, they we, we worked together. I worked for, worked for a couple of them. Some of them worked for me, but I think, the, I think the biggest thing that I would like to have people realize is that you have to have people around you that you trust and you have to develop relationships, trusting relationships where people are going to tell you the truth right? and tell, tell you what maybe is hard to, to, to accept 
or what you don't want to hear, because that's going to make you better. And I think that also carries forward into retirement. And you have to have people. I was the scariest thing was sending this book to a few people to say, read this, the manuscript, just waiting for people to tell you that it stunk or was it any good. And even today, I keep waiting for certain people to say, so what'd you think? But you don't want to ask them because you don't want to hear, right? Right. No, and I'll say that um, just getting back to Herb Siegel, it, the stories about how some of the like learning about reading a P and L, learning how to read the balance, you know, the balance sheets, understanding, and leading to, you know, discovery of things that were wrong and right, and it's, there's almost like a mystery. There's a couple of different mystery stories in there. So for the listener, um, I really recommend you take a look and you read it because um, I took probably three or four really great lessons out of it. But but for you, Scott, going forward, you wrote the book, which is amazing, so difficult. Um, and it's out there. So what what are your plans for the book? Um, I know you have thoughts about mentoring, maybe working in boardrooms, speaking. You know, you have many, many other stories. So how do you get how do we get the other stories out there to the public? Right now, I've agreed with Karare, who's the Japanese firm that I sold Monosol to, where my partners and I sold the company to a decade ago, uh, hired me as an independent advisor. I have a title called Senior Executive Advisor, which is pretty pretty cool. Um, they, they have a new division called the Innovation Network Center that they created to try to find a way to really become a global company with all the different companies within their organization. I'm mentoring the leader of that business, as well as three of his top management team. I also, just last week, I was talking to Hitoshi Kawahara, who is the representative director, the CEO of Karare. And I asked him, you know, this coming year, is there anything else you would like me to do? And he said, you are my advisor. I want you to keep advising me. Oh, that's awesome. And it's cool because I can tell him what I really think outside of the boardroom Outside of the executive committee, what do I think he should be doing differently or what do I think about what he's doing? Because we, we were friends first and colleagues, and now he's the head of the business. So I hope to do more of that and continue with Carrari because I'm enjoying it. It allows me to stay semi-detached or attached to Monosol as a right. division of Carrari. Um, but I really hope that I will be able to get into to other areas of business that have nothing to do with what I've been doing for the last 30 plus years. Out, outside of science, maybe, I believe that I, I would love to find the company that just got sold to a private equity firm and go in and help work with their founder that's trying to become a CEO, because that's what I did. Right. Oh, no, you did. Yeah. I know what it takes to do that. Mm -hmm. um, I think I would be great in that area, mentoring younger people, just helping their dreams and aspirations and where do they go and how do they navigate through, through parts of the world today. Sometimes it's easy to have an old guy like me help younger people as opposed to other younger people helping them navigate the business world. I'd like to do those things. I'm also still on the board at Butler University. I plan to continue that for some time. There's probably other things out there that I'm hoping that people will knock on the door and say, help me. I've, I've had some friends and family that I've been talking to that are looking at exiting or merging businesses or trying to leave a business and asking advice you know, pro bono, which is part of giving back. It's like, how do I do these things and spend time with other people that need 
to hear my story or hear how did I do it and then derive their own plans. Frankly, there's so much that I don't want to do. <laughs> That's probably the good thing is just like list out what you don't want to do, right? I've been very careful. I have, I've had to learn so much stuff without an executive assistant that I, I knew kind of how to do it, but now I have different calendars and I color code everything. And I look at that every week and I decide how much is what I would call paid for work and how much is enjoyment. And, and I think that's a really important thing. Every week I look at what I am doing and what did I just try to keep that balance so that it's not every single day, 24 seven, and it comes and goes in spurts. But if people are looking to exit, but not completely, I think you, you need, you need that glide path to get there. And, and, and I have found that, and I've, I've seen myself, I've read, it's a different skill set, right? You know, when you're starting a business, when you're growing a business, when you're exiting a business, I think that's one of the most amazing things about just uh, watching as an out, you know, from the outside, watching what you've done. It's, there are completely different skill sets, yet you've adapted to it. Um, and I know when I talk to business owners who are looking at exiting and they're considering selling private equity, uh, family office, things like that, um, working with those groups of people who have different goals than maybe they did as a founder is scary. So if people want to reach out to you, if people want to find out more, maybe throw opportunities out at you, how, how can they reach you? What's the best way to kind of come out and reach you? Well, I have an email account and or going through LinkedIn is, is another one. And in fact, I think there's going to be a, there is a landing page for the book, a webpage that will be able to be attached. I'm, I'm still figuring all that out and how that works because it just came out yesterday. Uh, but I am on LinkedIn and that's a great way to reach out to me. And the company that I've set up is called MBS2Advisors at gmail.com. That's the email. So MBS2 Advisors is a, another great way to to reach me. And either, either, either that or through you, Tim, too, as well. They contact you and you know how to get me really quick. No, that's awesome. So I, I know you can add so much value and I really appreciate you coming on and being part of the podcast. So thank you so much. Well, I hope it was fun for you. And uh, Eric, thanks for uh, hosting. Hey, this has been fantastic. And I... Tim hosts this thing. I just, I just button it up. <laughs> Scott, thank you so much. I mean, th this has been amazing. Um, if you have that link to the book, I know it just came out, uh, but that's definitely something that we can put in the show notes. So all you listeners, you'll be able to check out the show notes and see what we've got there for you. Again, Scott, thank you so much for your time. Of course, Tim, we're here because of you. This is your show and I appreciate you very much. I appreciate you bringing on great guests. So thank you so much. Why don't you give people contact information in case they want to reach Scott through you or just reach you for uh, some of your wisdom. Yeah, they could always reach out at tscanell at hightoweradvisors.com. That's my email or my direct line is 219-246-5370. I'm here to help. Fantastic. And our last thank you, of course, always goes to you listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the WellStream podcast with Tim Scannell. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Tim comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask you to share this podcast, rate it and leave a review as this actually does help others find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Hightower Great Lakes, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the WealthStream podcast. We hope you gained some valuable insight that you can apply to your life and share with others. Please don't forget to subscribe below to be notified when new episodes become available. And don't forget to live greater. 
The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Hightower Great Lakes. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Hightower Great Lakes is a group comprised of investment professionals registered with Hightower Advisors, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Some investment professionals may also be registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Associates, LLC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is neither indicative nor a guarantee of future results. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data or other information referenced herein is from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analyses, prices, or other data or information contained in this presentation is provided as general market commentary and does not constitute investment advice. Hightower Great Lakes and Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates, make no representations or warranties express or implied as to the accuracy or completeness of the information or for statements or errors or omissions or results obtained from the use of this information. Hightower Great Lakes and Hightower Advisors, LLC, assume no liability for any action made or taken in reliance on or relating in any way to this information. The information is provided as of the date referenced in the document. Such data and other information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed herein are solely those of the authors and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. You know, the first thing that popped 